Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, church. So good to see you this morning. So have you ever been nervous about telling somebody about Jesus? Maybe you've been wondering about how, what you would, would tell them, how it would be received. Maybe what they would think about you. And I see myself as quite a bold person, but I must admit that I still get the nerves sometimes when I tell people about my faith. Because as a matter of fact, growing up in a very, very secular society, where it is from my point of view, the general perception that religious people are a bit odd, maybe seen as a little less intelligent, it is not always easy to begin that conversation about faith. But although we live in a culture that is seemingly hostile against religion, it is my firm belief that people on a personal level are desperately seeking for meaning and for truth. The truth that we know here in church this morning, the truth that can only be found and met in Jesus Christ. So my name is Lynn Style, and as Matthew said, I'm associate pastor in this church together with my husband Justin, who is right now downstairs with the kids, with the super kids, which is very exciting. And today I will continue our 10 week long series about missional life. And today uh, I will be talking about missional conversations. So just like Pastor Chriselle said last week, uh, I also had my preconceptions about what it is like to be a missionary. Because I'm actually the granddaughter of two. So just like many others of their generation, my Swedish grandfather and half-American grandmother traveled, began their journey across the oceans as newlyweds in the early 1950s. And they spent their first six years as newlyweds on a missional couple or on a missional mission far, far away. They actually planted and built the church that still exists today in Okayama, in Japan. And they had to learn a new language. They had to work in a place that was very, very different from their own culture. And it was quite obvious that they were different, both by that they had a different hair color and also the fact that there were no shoes produced in the size of my grandfather's because he had size 47, and I guess no Japanese people wore that size. They had to import shoes from America uh, during those years when they lived there. And it took weeks, not maybe even months, to travel there. I mean, they had to use like the old boats, you know, to travel across the seas. And the only contact that they had with home was through the occasional letter. And I read those letters. You can see like the sweat dripping down on the, on the paper as they were traveling, you know. But that was the only contact that they had with home. And they had children as they were away also on the mission field. And their oldest child, my auntie, she met her Swedish grandparents the first time when she was five years old. 
parents, they had a calling. And they loved the Japanese people. And many, many people got to know Jesus Christ through them, as well as through the thousands of missionaries that were sent out from Sweden to the ends of the earth to share the good news, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life on the mission field wasn't always easy, but growing up, hearing all those stories, I felt a sense of excitement and a sense of purpose. And I loved sitting at my grandmother's table with a cup of peppermint tea, and she would tell me the same stories over and over again, and I would never grow tired of hearing the same thing. I'm actually wearing my, my grandmother's locket here today, and it was passed on from her grandmother. Uh, so I don't know how many generations, but I feel a little bit like more connected to her because I believe that she also played a big part in my faith journey, in, in the, the life that I live today. And her passion to spread the good news to people that hadn't yet heard ignited something within me. And I knew that I wanted to become a missionary. So I went to Bible school, and I traveled on a few mission trips, and I even got married to an Englishman. My plans were looking quite bright, but then God spoke to me very clearly about becoming a teacher in Sweden. So instead of moving abroad, I imported Justin to Malmö. <laughs> and for the past 14 years, we have been part of building this church. So I think we found this church on the third week of moving to Malmö, and then we've been here ever since. I don't think we're allowed to, to lead. They made us pastors. No? And I have realized that my mission field might look a little different to the ones of my grandparents. So I only moved six hours away from my childhood home. But it doesn't mean that I am on less of a mission. So considering the fact that Malmö is an international city where 183 of the world's 195 countries are represented according to statistics provided by Malmö Stad, you no longer have to move across the other side of the earth to meet the nations. The world is right here at our doorstep. So just out of curiosity, how many people here in this hall today were not born and raised in Sweden? You can raise your hand. Well, maybe I should turn the question around to see, but maybe, maybe I would point people out that wouldn't be very fair. Okay, I love the fact that my people get to grow up to hang out with people from literally all around the world. I'm curious to find out how many countries we have represented in this church. You know, Matthew? 27 countries. So we have a piano. I think that deserves a clap. So 183 minus 27, what is that? We have a few more nations to cover, okay? And you might think that you have come here to Sweden for natural reasons. Maybe you got a job for IKEA or Tetra Pak. Justin just signed a contract for IKEA this week, by the way. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your prayers. That you've been standing in faith with us, and we really appreciate that. But even if you think that you moved here for work, I believe 
but God had a hand in all of this as well. I think that God brought you here for a reason. And maybe my job right now is to raise awareness of your missional role amongst my people. Because during the missional movements, the one that my grandparents were part of, Sweden sent out 12,000 missionaries around the world. And this resulted in church plants that today have a following. Do you want to hear the numbers? Yeah. A following of 55 million people. Wow. Yeah, I think that deserves the clap as well. And if you don't trust me, you can go in and read the statistics. I think even Sveriges Radio had made a, a series about this. So this means that people were sent out from this nation and it is spread like wildfire. And even if we might look at Sweden today and kind of see that people might not identify as Christians any longer today, I do believe that it is time for one of the world's most secular nations to come back to Jesus Christ. So whether you are a Swede or an international here in church today, my hope is that you will leave church this morning feeling a little bit more equipped and inspired to have skillful conversations about Jesus in a country with the highest percentage of the world where people state that they do not believe in God, according to statistics from this year. My hope is that you will learn to understand my people a little bit more in order to be able to present the gospel in a way that it will be received. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So I don't know if anybody in here has noticed that it takes a bit of time to get to know Swedish people. Are you with me? <laughs> Who has had that experience? Because in general, Swedes, we don't open up straight away, especially not during winter. You might not even see Swedish people during winter, to be honest. So maybe we're a little bit more receptive during spring when we sit soaking up the sun at every given occasion with our black sunglasses. We don't generally like to talk to our neighbors unless we are on holiday because then we like to talk loads. Maybe there is a reason why Sweden did quite well during the pandemic because we didn't have to change any socializing patterns. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think it's okay to, uh, to have a joke, right? But I think the core of it is that you need to earn the trust of Swedish people in order to become a friend, in order to make a connection with somebody's life. And I once heard somebody say that it takes a long time to get to know a Swede, but once you do, you have a friend for life. I find the Swedish people in general are very faithful people, if you make that connection. 
And that is why people in general aren't very open to street corner evangelism. Not that it necessarily is wrong, but it isn't built upon the same kind of trust. And according to John Tyson, who produced his course material and also a pastor in New York uh, City, he says that people in general need to have seven positive encounters with Christians before they are able to receive the gospel. So this means that in many cases, <clears throat> we might not be the ones to reap the harvest, but we can play a role and we can plant that seed into people's lives. So how then can we move from just talking about mission, the theory about mission, how can we move into practice? And I think that it begins with us, a willingness, a willingness to share or to give a simple account of the hope that we have, the hope that comes from belonging to Jesus Christ. So Pastor Matthew, he was talking two weeks ago about us understanding that we are part of a bigger story. Pastor Christelle, she, she mentioned or talked about, she highlighted how we have to identify ourselves as storytellers, as missionaries. And what I want to add today is that we need to learn how to tell that story about our life in Christ and learning to tell that story to different audiences. So the first thing that I would like you to do today and just keep in mind as I continue to speak is that I want you to start identifying people in your life, in your world, where you are at, at school, at work, or in your neighborhood. We need to identify those people in order to, to think about how we are going to have those conversations. And it says in Colossians 4 and 6, let your conversations always be full of grace, Seasoned with salt, as Pastor Matthew always says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Because the thing, my friends, is that people will have different experiences with faith. And this is where we need to discern where people are at on their journeys. Because just like Paul, when he became a Christian in the book of Acts, you know, first he was persecuting the Christians and then Jesus knocked him down. And then he started preaching the good news. And from him being a learned man in the scripture, when he started preaching to the Jewish people of his time, the scripture is exactly where he started. He presented the law of Moses. He was talking about the Torah, the prophets, and he was able to explain Jesus through them based on the knowledge that he already had. But then as Paul's mission spread, and I'm actually reading the, the book of Acts now in my daily devotional, and I, I find it's I love the book of Acts because the gospel is just like spreading like wildfire and so many things are happening. But then in chapter 17, Paul, Paul he finds himself in a Greek context. He comes to Athens. And in Athens, people are worshipping different kind of idols. They don't have a connection to the law or to the prophets. And Paul is walking around there feeling a bit frustrated because he feels like they don't get it, you know. They're worshipping all these different idols, all these different gods. And he's thinking about, okay, so how can I preach the good news to them? He knows that the law is not going to work because they don't have that reference point. They don't have that background. So instead he finds like there is a shrine to a, a, an unknown god. 
And if you want to go in and read the story about this, it has a whole like backstory to this shrine, if you want to go into the historical context. But what he did was that he used this shrine, he was talking about the unknown God, in order to present the good news of Jesus Christ to people that didn't have that connection or didn't have that backstory. Go in and read the book of Acts if you want to get some more inspiration. But also the really cool thing here is that when people of the earth, the outsiders, realized that they got to be part of God's story, I mean, they got so excited. They were like, wow, can we also be part of this? Is this also for us? And Paul was able to confirm them, yes, this is for you as well. The good news, everyone is included. But the good news had to be shared differently. And the same might go for you, because if you try to reach out to somebody who's part of the older generation in Sweden, so let's say somebody who was born before, who went to school before the 1960s, then most likely uh, they were born and raised in a Christian context, and they would know the common prayers by heart. And when I was a student, uh, I used to work during the summers in Hemtjänsten, the home care, the elderly care. And I had the privilege of meeting a lot of people from this generation, my grandparents' generation. And there was one couple in particular that I remember very clearly. So I would come into their apartment and the man, he uh, would be very dominant and he would speak loads and he, would, uh, he used a very foul language. To be honest, he, he wasn't a very nice person. But one day as I came into their apartment, it was all quiet. And the wife said that I, I think he's about to die. I think he's on his deathbed. So I walked into the bedroom, gave him his medication, and I had a bit of time. So I sat down by the bedside. And then I was just, as I was sitting there, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of urge me to talk to him. So as I sat there and looked at him, I, I said, okay, so what do you think happens after you die? And he looks at me and he's like, well, why are you asking this? And I said, yeah, because I am a Christian and I believe that there is life after death. So what do you think happens? And he looks at me for a moment. And then he, he starts sharing his story. When he was a young man, only 19 or 20 years of age, he had gone to church. And in church, he had taken the communion, the Holy Communion, but then something had gone wrong. I don't know, but is there anybody in here who has ever taken the communion wrong? I mean, Justin was sharing this story like the other, not even a year ago, like a couple of months ago, we went to a christening in the Lutheran church, and in the Lutheran church, you kind of go forward and you kneel down and then the priest would administrate the, the, the Holy Communion. It's just that, you know, he wasn't really used to that context. So he didn't notice that everybody else were just dipping their bread into the cup. And instead, Justin took the cup and he started to drink. And then the priest tried to take it back and he took it and it just like it was a bit of confusion. And then he felt a bit embarrassed afterwards because like he's taking communion his whole life, but somehow he messed up. Uh, I went to Spain earlier this year, and I went to this beautiful cathedral, and I was part of a service, and then afterwards, they gave the invitation to give communion. 
And I'm not a Catholic, but I thought that, okay, it's probably fine for me to go and take communion. I'm, at least, I'm a pastor in a church. I should, I should qualify for this. So I went forward uh, and didn't realize that you actually had to take the communion in front of the priests. And you weren't allowed to take the wine because that was only, it was different. And I didn't realize. I sat down feeling a little bit, I don't know what happened. Uh, and I feel quite solid in my faith, but I still feel, felt a bit like, whew, you know, something went wrong there. And in this old man's case, I don't know exactly what happened, but somehow the priest had mocked him for taking communion in the wrong way. And being young and being full of pride, he decided to turn around and to never set his foot in church ever again. And he hadn't for over 70 years. But there, as I was sitting on his deathbed, asking him what he believed would happen after he died, he looks at me, his eyes tearing up, and he's saying, but I do believe in Jesus. I do. And there and then, I was able to, to confirm to him that it says in the word of God, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't matter what the priest told you that time 70 years ago. It says in the word of God that you are saved if you do those things. So I asked him, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, yes. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer together because that was a prayer that he knew by heart because he had grown up learning those, those prayers. And I believe that something happened within him that day. And as a matter of fact, he, he didn't die that, that day. He actually kept on living for one more year. And every time when somebody walked in from the Hemshenstan, the elderly care, he would ask them, are you the one who belongs to Jesus? <laughs> so I guess that on his old age, he kind of became a missionary too. And I know for sure that something definitely twisted with him or shifted within him. He had something in his eyes that hadn't been there before. I believe that I am going to meet him in heaven one day. And I'm so thankful that God, kind of like the Holy Spirit, helped me to have that conversation. I, I believe that he, he knew all along what this old man needed. But if you, on the other hand, speak to people born after the 1960s, they will most likely not be as familiar with written prayers. And actually, if you speak to young people born after the year 2000, after the church separated from the state, you will find that they might not have any reference points at all. They might never have been into a church building. But the positive thing is that while the slightly older, the slightly older generations might be more hostile to faith due to, for example, bad experience, they might have a lot of baggage. The younger generations, they don't have that baggage. They might have inherited some views. They might think that they think a certain way. But I also often find that there is a fascination with faith. In a culture where it's so much about image, so much about a facade, 
And I mean, we all know, like the images the social media put up, we think that everyone else is doing so great. In a world where there are endless options, there is a fascination towards commitment and faith. And Malmö has a very young generation. Actually, half of the people in Malmö are under the age of 35. Did you know that? But I believe that God is placing us amongst the people to share hope, to share a faithful and provocative hope. And as a matter of fact, we might not be the ones reaping the harvest, but we can be a part of planting a seed. We can be that first positive encounters the people might have with a Christian. So let's get to First Peter, chapter two, verse twelve, up on the screen. And it says here that live such good life among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. And I just want you to notice that it actually says that on the day that he visits. Because one day, God will visit them. Will they know who Jesus is when they see him? And how would they know if they haven't heard that he is alive and active today? So the first step can simply be to let people in your world know that you are a Christian. And how? Just tell them that you go to church. That will, that will begin the conversation. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And I don't know about you, but my son always seems to get invited to things on a Sunday morning. Whether it's like football matches or birthday parties. And last week he was in, had this really cool invitation to a trampoline park. At what time? 10.45. <laughs> And we know that that's a time when we are right in the middle of worship. We can't, well, we prioritize going to church. But we don't want to be mean to our son. So last week I had to contact uh, a friend's parents and just ask them, like, oh, can we drop off Levi early in the morning um, so he can go with you because we, we go to church. And that can be the first starting point of that conversation. Just name dropping church in the conversation usually does a job as well. It might take time, but trust me, eventually the questions, they will begin to come. They will put two and two together. And I think, as I said, just letting people know that there are still people in Sweden today that, that worship Jesus Christ, that still go to church by their own free will. That is going to be something, you know. I, I find that that's what people say when they come here to church for the first time. It's like people are so friendly. They're so happy. And I usually say, yes, it is because they want to be here. People have chosen to come to church. And that could be all the difference. And maybe the very next step after you have identified uh, those people. Sorry, let's see if I get it right here. Sometimes, sorry, people, they want to come along to church, but sometimes they won't. And I've had people that I have prayed for and witnessed pretty much my whole life that still 
are unsaved. But I don't believe that those prayers and those conversations have been there for nothing. I believe that God has a plan. Because we see the little picture, but God, you know, he sees the big picture. He sees it all. And then after you have identified those people, maybe the next step is to begin to pray for them. Because we believe, right church, we believe that something is released in prayer. We need to get Jesus' compassion for people and to have this awareness that something happens as we begin to pray. Because your heart will change. The atmosphere will change. And not only that, but that's also how heaven will begin to move. So for me, I work as a teacher in an inner city school environment where a lot of people are dealing with anxiety and other mental health issues. And as a teacher, I want to be very cautious about what I share with my students because I don't want to misuse my position. But it doesn't stop me from caring for them. It doesn't stop me praying for them, speaking hope into their lives. So don't underestimate the power of prayer because God is on the move. And then thirdly, once you have identified people and once you have started to pray for people, I want to encourage you to start having those conversations. When the opportunity comes, be prepared to share your story. Give an answer to people about the hope that you have. Why can you keep cheerful even when life is, is, is tough? How do you keep that hope? How do you keep the motivation up? People are going to ask you. And also think about your own faith journey. Who and what conversations did play a big part on your journey? What role does faith play in your life? So learn how to tell that story. Because people, they can argue against ideas, but they cannot argue against your story. So own your story. And if you're not happy with your story, if you feel like there are things to work with, then go back and listen to the series that we had, Winning the War in Your Mind, and try to see how can I get the story right? But try to show the credibility of your faith. And this is, as I said in the beginning, where it can be a bit nerve-wracking. And this is also where we need to help each other as a church family. And for many, many years, I have been leading connect groups in this church. And we have a bunch of amazing connect group leaders here in church today. And these groups are an amazing place to practice your storytelling. To practice these missional conversations. Because these connect group meetings are an opportunity to share with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To share about your story. To share about what God is doing in your life. And you can do so in order to be able to build up confidence to share the same story with people around you at work, in school, or in your neighborhood. So ask God to give you an understanding of how your story fits into the bigger story. So as a church, we believe that it is our calling to seek God's presence daily, to intentionally follow Jesus, and to participate in his redemptive mission. I'm going to ask the band to come up now.
So church today, I want to encourage us to follow these three seemingly simple steps. The first thing, to identify people around you. Think about this. Who has God placed in your life? And where are they at and on their faith journey? How can you begin? How can you meet them? How can you explain Jesus to them? And then as you have identified people, the second step is to begin to pray for them. Because God has called us to partner with him in interceding for the lost. And be aware of that something is released as we pray. And then when you feel the opportunities are coming, begin to share your story with them. And that is the third point. Share about the role that God is playing in your life. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. You might not know the answers, like you mean, you might not be able to go through the conversation beforehand, but allow the Holy Spirit to use you when those opportunities come. And the opportunities, they will come. I was just talking to Faith on, on Friday. We go to the same school. I'm the teacher and she's the student. And we are just talking about this series uh, earlier this week on Friday. And you were mentioning that, I'm, you know, this series is good, but I'm not so good at sharing about my faith. But then I just want to remind you about that time in English class a few months ago when we just had a normal, regular discussion in class. And one of the questions that your classmates asked was like, are you religious? And you took the opportunity to say that I'm not religious because I believe in a relationship with God. Do you remember that? And because of that, you also, like, I don't know if anybody asked anything, but at least you gave them the opportunity to let them know that you are a Christian. And you also allowed me as a teacher, you gave me the opportunity to talk to you and also invite you to church. So I don't want you to underestimate those little conversations, just standing up and saying, you know, this is what I believe in. It can be something small, it can be something that you feel like is quite insignificant, but it might actually change things around. It will give people the opportunity to ask you about your faith. So what did you mean there? What do you mean about a relationship and not religion? I believe that the opportunities are going to come for you. And the same thing for every, if anybody else is sitting here today and thinking, like, how am I going to start? How can I start those missional conversations, the skillful conversations? Just allow God to use you, to speak in, into that context, but also share the provocative hope that we have, because it is so different to what the secular world has to offer. Secularism can't offer that hope. And I've seen it firsthand that it leads to a lot of stress and anxiety. But what we can hope offer in Jesus Christ is something that brings life and that will change and turn situations around. So I want us to take a moment to allow God to speak to us, to help us identify maybe a person or a couple of people in our life that we can walk alongside. Don't underestimate the power of one-on-one -on -one conversations, on one-on-one -on -one mission. So I just want us to, uh, as the music is just like quietly playing in the background, just to close your eyes for just a moment and allow God to show people in your life. Let's do that now.
to say that I think a lot of people are thinking about one specific person right now. But maybe that is the person that God is putting on your heart. I don't know which context, I don't know which situation, I don't know where this person is at, but maybe you do. And once you have identified that person in your life, whether it's somebody that you think is so far away from God, that it is impossible. We know that nothing is impossible in Christ. And as we have identified that person, I would like you to start praying for that person. And if you don't know what to pray, I'm going to get a prayer up here on the screen. Where you can speak out the name of this person based upon different scriptures, because we believe in the power of scriptures, right? So as you keep this person in mind, I would like you to fill in the name of the person as we pray over these people together. From John 6, 44, we want to pray. Lord, draw this person to yourself. From Acts 17, Lord, help this person to know you. From 1 Thessalonians 2, Lord, help this person hear and believe the word of God. Lord, prevent Satan from blinding this person's person to the truth. Lord, please convince this person of their sin and reveal their need for Christ's redemption. Lord, give me a chance to share your word with this person. As it says in Matthew 9. Given the opportunity, the words, and the courage to share the truth with this person from Colossians 4 and Ephesians 6. Lord, I pray that this person will put all of their trust in Christ, as it says in John 1. And Lord, I pray that in their lives the gospel will take root and bear much fruit to your glory. Like it says in Romans 10, 9 to 10, the scripture that I shared with the old man on his deathbed. So church, I want to encourage you this week to go and have those missional conversations because you are positioned to help people make sense of their lives, to interpret their stories and to share the love of Jesus with them. So this week, pray for an open door and pray for clarity in your message and pray for an openness in people's lives and clarity in their context. I would love to pray together with you today. If you're standing in faith for somebody, please feel free to come forward after the service is done. I know that your connect groups would also love to pray together with you, and they would like to practice the storytelling together so that you will find the courage to go out and tell people around you about what God is doing in your life. I also would like to, to ask that maybe there is somebody in here who is in church for the first time. Maybe somebody invited you along and you are just on the beginning of your journey and you haven't yet made the commitment. You haven't yet made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. Then I would love to introduce you to him. You have an exciting life ahead and I would love to pray together with you. 
So if that is you, please come forward as we enter back into worship. But we're going to do that now, church. We're going to stand up together. We're going to sing one more song together. And I would like you to take this time just to allow God's truth to speak into your life. Allow the love for these people that we've been praying for to just overwhelm you so that you can go out and have missional conversations this week.